All right, so we're in chapter 45, and it's uh, two weeks ago when we did chapter 44, and where that chapter left off, it left off where um, after Joseph's brothers left for the second time, uh, this time Joseph comes after him, turns out, you know, they've got all the money in their bags again, and then the silver cups with Benjamin, and so now uh, they're thinking Benjamin is going to have to be the servant uh, in Egypt, and then Judah, remember how he steps in, and he tells Joseph, you know, take me instead. We can't let this happen. It will kill our father. And so that's where we left off two weeks ago. And then this story just continues right on in chapter 45. And what we're going to do, we're going to go through this chapter, point out a few things, and then uh, kind of make some life application, a really important lesson I want to show you in here. So verse 1 says, Then Joseph could not refrain himself before all of them that stood by him. And he cried, Cause every man to go out from me. And there stood no man with him, while Joseph made himself known unto his brethren. And he wept aloud, and the Egyptians in the house of Pharaoh heard. And Joseph said unto his brethren, I am Joseph, doth my father yet live? And his brethren could not answer him, for they were troubled at his presence. Now, I'm going to explain what I picture when I read this story, okay? Uh, how the layout was exactly, I might be wrong on some things. But, you know, I picture... You know, a pretty large room where Joseph is maybe up on a throne and there's some distance between him and his brothers, which is probably what he wanted to to make it more difficult for them to recognize him. I don't know. This is just what I'm picturing in my head. And so he's talking to him. He's got servants and people around. But finally, Joseph, after his brother goes and uh, offers up himself uh, as a substitute for Benjamin, Joseph just can't handle it anymore. He starts crying, and so he clears the room out of everybody except for his brothers. It's just Joseph and his brothers, and so in their minds, it's just like this ruler and them. That's all there is in the room, and then he's crying, and he's crying loud. In fact, he's crying so loud that, you know, the other Egyptians hear what's going on in there. You know, have you ever been outside a room before and you heard somebody in the other room crying really loud? It gets your curiosity going, doesn't it? Yeah, and so obviously their curiosity is probably really going here. Joseph's brothers probably had to be wondering, what is going on? Why is this guy crying like this? But then he goes and he reveals himself. And we need to stop and think about what a shock this would have been for him because they, they weren't suspicious. Though In fact, we've been showing the whole time this is going on, they're thinking that we are under God's judgment for what we did to Joseph. All these bad things are happening to us. This is just God. God put that silver in our bags. God put that cup in Benjamin's bag. God did this as punishment for us because of what we did to Joseph. And so we, we talked about how these guys had guilt that they had been carrying for what they had done. And so now, all of a sudden, it's revealed to them that this guy that we've been scared of, that we thought was uh, somebody God was using for judgment on us, is Joseph. In their minds, at that moment, they had to be thinking, we are dead. And that had to be what they were thinking at that moment. And so, so, they, they, uh, they, so verse 4 says, And Joseph said unto his brethren, Come near to me, I pray you. And they came near, and he said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom ye sold into Egypt. Now therefore, be not grieved, nor angry with yourselves, so that ye sold me hither, for God did send me before you to preserve life. He knew exactly how his brothers were going to feel. He's excited and ready to get reacquainted with his brothers, but he knew they would be concerned because they should have been. That was terrible what they did. But he said, for these two years hath the famine been in the land, and yet there are five years in the which there shall be neither earing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve you a posterity in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So now it was not you that sent me hither, but God, and he hath made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all his house and a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. So Joseph, he doesn't even blame his brothers for the wrong that they did because he knew it was God's will. I mean, the gracious attitude he has here is really amazing. Again, we're, we're seeing a Christ-like spirit in Joseph when he didn't have the example of Jesus Christ. You know, it's pretty sad that those of us who are indwelt with the Holy Spirit, unlike they were back then, 
those of us who have the completed word of God, that we have the stories of Jesus Christ, but Joseph didn't, it's pretty sad that somebody like him is more like Jesus than we are. I mean, it really just shows you what an exceptional individual Joseph was and how sorry we are. But verse 9 says, Hasty, and go to my, up to my father and say unto him, Thus saith thy son Joseph, God hath made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down unto me, tarry not, and thou shalt dwell in the land of Goshen, and thou shalt be near unto me, thou and thy children and thy children's children, and thy flocks and thy herds and all that thou hast. And there will I nourish thee, for yet there are five years of famine, lest thou and thy household and all that thou hast come to poverty. So Joseph just wants to do good to his brothers. That's all he wants. You know, obviously he wants to see him. He said, I want you to live in Goshen. I want you close to me. Why? Because he wants to be around them. And not only that, he's like, I want to take care of you. I have the ability to take care of you. Um, there's five more years of famine coming. Joseph's brothers didn't know that at this point, but Joseph did. He lets his brothers know and, you know, make haste, go get your father, get your little ones. I'm going to help you out. I'm going to take care of you. So it says in verse 12, and behold, your eyes see in the eyes of my brother Benjamin that it is my mouth that speaketh unto you, and ye shall tell my father of all my glory uh, and all that ye have seen, and ye shall uh, haste and bring down my father hither. And he fell upon his brother Benjamin's neck and wept, and Benjamin wept upon his neck. Moreover, he kissed all his brethren and wept upon them, and after that his brethren talked with him. And so... You know, this was a, an amazing reunion. I mean, this would have been uh, a marvelous thing to behold and experience. And um, it says in verse 16, And the fame thereof was heard in Pharaoh's house, saying, Joseph's brethren are come, and it pleased Pharaoh well and his servants. So keep that in mind, how Pharaoh, we'll talk about that in a little bit, how he was happy to hear Joseph's family was around. I think there's a good reason for that. And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, Say unto thy brethren, This do ye, laid your beast, and go get you unto the land of Canaan, and take your father and your households, and come unto me, and I will give you the good of the land of Egypt, and ye shall eat the fat of the land. Now thou art commanded, This do ye, take you wagons out of the land of Egypt for your little ones and your wives, and bring your father and come. Also regard not your stuff, for the good of the land of Egypt is yours, and the children of Israel did so, and Joseph gave them wagons according to the commandment of Pharaoh, and gave them provision for the way. To all of them he gave each man changes of raiment, but to Benjamin he gave 300 pieces of silver and five changes of raiment. And to his father he sent after this manner ten asses laden with the good things of Egypt, and ten she-asses laden with corn and bread and meat for his father by the way. So he sent his brethren away, and they departed and said to them, See that ye fall not out by the way. And they went up out of Egypt and came to the land of Canaan unto Jacob, their father, and told him, saying, Joseph is yet alive, and he is governor over all the land of Egypt. And Jacob's heart fainted, for he believed them not. And they told him all the words of Joseph, which he had said unto them. And when he saw the wagons, uh, which Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of Jacob, their father, revived. And Israel said, It is enough. Joseph, my son, is yet alive. I will go and see him. Before I die. So imagine uh, what this must have been like just seeing for Jacob, seeing his sons all coming back. They've got extra wagons. They've got extra animals. They're carrying more food than they could have bought while they were there. And they did all this. This was Pharaoh's idea, not just Joseph. It was Pharaoh's idea. He wanted to be a blessing to Joseph's family. Now, I the Bible does not tell us, but let me insert my opinion in here. Based on what we've seen throughout the book of Genesis, we have seen how rulers in other uh, cities and nations saw that when you were good to God's people, God was good to you. And isn't that what we see happen with Abraham? And we see that happen with Isaac. I mean, Laban, he understood, or um, with, uh, well, we saw it with Isaac, but then with Jacob, when he was working for his father-in-law, Laban, Laban realized, hey, all this blessing that I've got, it's been because of you. He's like, God has been good to me because of you. And people were figuring that out during this time. People were figuring out that, hey, you know, do good to God's people. You know, that whole thing, I will bless them that bless you and curse them that curse you. These people were getting that. 
and they understood that. And, and, uh, and so it was, uh, a very common thing that we would see with leaders to want to make some kind of alliance with Israel. That's why we see the men of Shechem, how they wanted to, they wanted to intermarry in their families. They were even willing to get circumcised. Hey, we're ready to, ready to join up with you guys because God's blessing is all over you. And so Egypt, I mean, was, it was thriving like it never had under Joseph. So when Pharaoh finds out, Hey, there's more of these guys. Pharaoh's like, Hey, you can have the best of everything. That was his attitude. He, and I believe this was almost a selfish attitude. He's saying, you guys can have the best of everything. You're going to eat the fat of the land. We're going to send you off. We're going to send you back to go get your father. We're going to give you wagons. And I bet they were nice ones. You know, they were the luxury ones of that time, whatever that would have been like. He's doing all these things for them because they know God's going to bless as a result of it. You know, it'd be nice if we could get a hold of that and say, you know what? There is something to, you know, giving a cold cup of water to someone, even in the name of a disciple, you know, God really smiles on those that are good to his people. You know, maybe we ought to treat each other pretty good. Maybe we ought to show uh, some extra love and care for people, especially not just for people, you know, that were rich and powerful, but how about especially when we show it to people who don't have anything, when we're just good to the poor, you know, because We've got a, a father in heaven who is just rich in goodness and mercy and wants to love people. He wants people to get the gospel. You know, I believe God's going to be pleased with that kind of thing. And it seems like Pharaoh got a hold of that, but sometimes Christians struggle getting a hold of that. Now, I'm often convicted by the things people in the Old Testament seem to understand better than we understand today. I think I think it's pretty sad. But Pharaoh, I think he knew what we, he was doing right here. I think this was pretty smart. So anyway... Uh, so they come back. Jacob, he realizes this is real. I'm going to go see Joseph before I die. He's revived. He's got something to live for. But you know, one thing that we don't see in the Bible, and this is one of these things I read and I'm like, did any of the brothers explain what happened? You know, how did Jacob react when he found out Joseph's been gone for 20 years because his brother sold him? Okay. Now, if, I, if I'm Joseph's brother's, the way I would have told this story is I would have started out and I'd have said something like, Father, we are going to survive. We have riches. Uh, we're going to be taken care of. And it's all because <laughs> we sold our brother Joseph. If we hadn't done that, you know, I, I, I would have started off with all the good things that, you know, if, if we hadn't done that, not only would Joseph die, we all would be dead too. Now, that, that's the way I would have tried to spin it. But, uh, we don't ever really get to see Jacob's reaction to it when he found out. I kind of wish the Bible would have shared that, but uh, it, it doesn't. But I've always wondered about that when I read this. But um, but anyway, so Jacob, he announces, we're going to go see Joseph. I'm going to see Joseph before I die. And then the chapter ends there. And then, But what I want to do, though, in this chapter is I want to spend the rest of this message talking about Joseph and his favor with Pharaoh. Because I think there's some important things that we can learn from this because you know we should want to find favor with people did you know it's okay if you want to be you know if you try to be likable do you know that's okay now often as fundamental baptists you know we tend because there's so many compromising liberals in the world that are just desperate to be loved by everybody we kind of swing the pendulum the other way sometimes and it's like we try to not be likable you know, I mean, you do, you know, you got the guys that prance around in their trendy little clothes, looking just like the world, talking like the world, doing their hair, just like, the, I mean, they're just like the world because they don't want anybody looking down on them. They don't want anybody, you know, calling them a fundy or something like, you know, they, they don't want any of that stuff. They don't want to look judgmental. They they want to just fit in so bad. And we do. Are we, let's just be honest. Are we not repulsed by that? I'm repulsed by that. Okay. I, I, I'm repulsed by that type of thing. You all know that, but at the same time, it doesn't mean we have to try to be jerks and make people hate us, okay? And I get it, and we're going to go to them. There's verses that talk about the world hating us, but it's like we see if we can't make that happen, and we get them hating us for things that they're not supposed to hate us for, and we don't want to, we don't want to do that. It does say in Luke chapter 2 and verse 52... It says, and Jesus, talking about when he was young, increased in wisdom and stature and in favor 
with God and man. So Jesus increased in favor with man. See, we don't need to make it like being unlikable is a virtue. It's, it's not always a virtue. In fact, you know, there are some areas, in, in fact, there are many areas where as Christians, we should be extremely likable. One thing that we do, we see with the Jews, is that they did, they often found great favor with people because they always ended up being a blessing. Now, there were some people that were just very evil that often hated them, but it was more because they feared them, because they saw that God's hand was on them and they, you know, they were set in their evil ways and they weren't about to get right. And so they had a fear of Israel and that's why they didn't like them. But I'm, I'm afraid one of many of the reasons we're not liked as Christians today is often not for Christ-like reasons. And that's not good. We don't want to be that way. And so one thing we need to understand is that the world, it doesn't hate us. Okay. Or, well, let me be careful how I say this. Often, when we do get the righteous kind of hatred, all right, when there is a, uh, a good hatred that we get, but it's not a hatred of us. It's a hatred of Jesus. Okay. But understand some of the hatred that, that we get, it's us that they hate. Okay. When Jesus said, you know, the world cannot hate you, but me it hate it wasn't saying it's impossible for us to find some way to be hated by the world. Okay. That, that he, that's not what he was doing in that passage right there. And we'll go over the, uh, some of this as, as we go, but here's, here's why the world hated Jesus. It was because of his message. Okay. Some of y'all, they hate you because, you know, you're a jerk, because you're a cheat, because, you know, you're, you're ripping people off, you're dishonest, you know, you punch them in the nose. I mean, yeah, that, that's why they hate you. Okay, it's not because of your message. It says in 1 John 3.11, For this is the message ye have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another, not as Cain, who was of that wicked one, and slew his brother, and wherefore slew he him, because his own works were evil, and his brother's righteous. Marvel not, my brethren, if the world hate you. So even our works are only hated because our good works testify that their works are evil. That, that's why they don't like it. You know, that's why the trendies get so bent out of shape when they see a church that has conservative music and the forbidden dress standards. You know why that drives them so crazy? Because it, our works, even without saying anything, it testifies that theirs are evil. They know, hey, you know, we probably should be a little bit different than this world. You know, we probably aren't supposed to love the world or the things that are in the world. The Bible talks about that. You know, the Bible does, and I don't see where God changes mind on a woman wearing that which pertains unto a man and a man putting on a woman's garment. But, you know, it's real easy for a woman to dress like a man in this culture and not stick out at all. I mean, folks, where are they going to get reminded? All they got to do is just ignore the Bible and there's no conviction unless some of God's people are actually doing it. And folks, we don't even have to say anything. These people that, you know, and, and I follow some of these trendies on Twitter and stuff. They constantly are sharing pictures of, you know, a bunch of conservatively dressed girls, especially if they're in culottes or something. And they use it as mocking. Why does it bother them so much if a girl's wearing culottes? Why are they so bothered? I mean, yeah, maybe some standards and some people might go a little over the top. Maybe their skirts are a little longer than the Bible legally declares they should be. You know? and, 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 but e either way, why does that bother you so much? Maybe it's because you know your wife shouldn't be wearing that miniskirt exposing her thighs. I don't know. That's what I think it is. Because, I mean, folks, where else are people going to get convicted? In, in, in America today. Where will you ever get convicted by how you dress? There's this scriptures or somebody, you know, telling you the truth on that. And folks, I grew up in a Baptist preacher's home. You know, my mom and sisters, they wear skirts. You know, we dress conservatively. We do, my family, we have never gone out in public. We, I mean, We've never, my, we've never gone anywhere and just gone up to any woman and like, why are you dressed like that? And you know, we, we don't, we don't do that. We don't do that. But yet people act like we do all the time. You know why? Because our works preach. Our works say something. And 
it testifies that theirs are evil and that's what they hate because it shouldn't bother them. You know what, you know what my wife and what my daughters wear, yet it drives them crazy. And you say, well, but some, you bring up skinny jeans all the time. And I know, and I do it to annoy them. I, I do it, I do it to shame them. I am at many times being a jerk when I do that. Because me personally, I do, I do hate those. Uh, and, and I, I do, I do push buttons. I, I, I do. Uh, and when I'm pushing their buttons, making fun of their skinny jeans, I don't really think when they're hating me in that situation that I'm getting a Christ, you know, uh, Christ-like hatred, uh, you know, in that or like, like Christ received. I think that's them hating me a little bit. I, I'll confess that right now. <laughs> but at, at, at the same time, said so they are, they are, there is a hatred that they have because it doesn't testify something. And so Cain, he killed his brother because of that. So, but at the end of the day, it's not even that hatred. It's not because of us. It's not because of who we are and how we dress, what we do. It's because of what it testifies of them. And that's why they hate us. And so John 7, 7 says, the world cannot hate you, but me it hateth because I testify of it that the works thereof are evil. And so, again, it's the message. Jesus Christ, the re- I mean, because what, what would make you hate a guy that heals people? What would, make a, what would make you hate a guy that's feeding, you know, multitudes of people with five loaves and two fish? I mean, that should even make the environmentalists and the animal rights people happy. I mean, I know we use two fish, but two fish for multitudes, none of that would take a multitude of fish. You know, who, who would hate somebody for that? You know why they hated Jesus for that? The trendies love to talk about all the good things he did and all the love that he had. But, you know, Jesus said, the reason that they hate me is because I'm testifying their works are evil. You know what that tells me? Jesus was preaching on people's sin. Jesus was telling people where they were wrong and they hated him because they, they hated the message. That is what they hated. And so when it comes to, you know, like I said, the... the our hatred as a Christian, that, you know, that hatred, the right kind of hatred that we get, it is, it's because of the message that we're sending. And let, let me tell you, if they hate you because you stole from them, if they hate you because you're a jerk, you're not getting rewarded for that. Okay. That's, that's a, that's a different thing. And so I don't think we ought to be on a mission necessarily to be liked by the world, but I do believe if we have certain things in our life that much of the world will love us. Okay. So now many are, are still not going to like that message, but understand if they don't like the message, it's Jesus that they hate, not us. Y'all understand that it's Jesus that they hate, not us. And so what we often forget though, is that God wants to save people. Did you know that God wants us doing good works? So we will not be rejected by the world. Turn over to First Corinthians chapter nine. Turn over to First Corinthians chapter nine. We were talking about this passage the other day, but this is one that people often get messed up, especially when trying to use it to debunk the reprobate doctrine. That's when they really annihilate this passage. But in First Corinthians nine, it says, "Unto the Jews I became as a Jew, that I might gain the Jews." To them that are under the law is under the law, that I might gain them that are under the law. To them that are without the law, as without law, being not without law to God, but under the law to Christ, that I might gain them that are without the law. To the weak became I as weak, that I might gain the weak. I am made all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. Paul is adapting to whatever environment he's in without sinning against God, and he's doing that to win people to Christ. He wants to get people saved. That, that's what he's doing. So when he's around the Jews, he's following certain Jewish customs so he does not offend them. He does not want to be distracted by things. And you know what? If I was witnessing to a Jew, if I wanted to go out to dinner with a Jew to try to give him the gospel, I'm not going to invite him somewhere for a ham sandwich. I, I, I don't want to get caught up in dietary laws and restrictions when I've got the gospel I'm trying to get to him. So I, I don't want to get sidetracked by those things. You know, I'm not going to sin. You know, I'm not going to go, you know, put on a yarmulke and go, you know, eat a Passover dinner with them or something like that. You know, I'm not going to sin, but uh, I might do 
some other things. You know, I, I might, you know, if I was going to go, uh, you know, it's like, you know, some of us, and I, I haven't done it yet, but I would if I felt the need, you know, might wear a mask today when going soul winning. If you're in an area where you think people will receive me better if I wear a mask, I would do it in that situation because of the fact that, you know, when I'm out soul winning, my main goal is winning souls. Okay. Now, when I'm out just on the streets doing the American stuff and being an American, you know, then I'm going to make an American statement and I ain't going to wear a stinking mask. But, you know, when I'm out, when, it, when I'm out giving the gospel, then I, then I think about those things a little bit, but I'm not allowed to give the gospel when I'm in Walmart or, you know, unless they don't catch me, I guess. But I mean, at the same time, when I'm at Walmart, I'm usually shopping and I'm doing it as an American. And so there I get defiant, but not, not so many. All right. Y'all see what I'm saying here? Because I don't want to be rejected. Okay. Because I, when I go up to somebody's door, I'm not up there to straighten them out on what's going on with COVID-19 and the American government. That's not why I'm there. I'm there to talk about the gospel. And so if I feel that this might get us sidetracked and be an obstacle, if, if wearing a mask will work, I'll do that. Okay. And I, I think that's, I think that's fine. And I, you know, I think that's kind of what Paul's talking about here. Paul's did, probably did a lot of stuff that he thought was stupid, stuff that was uncomfortable, stuff that he didn't like because he wants to get people saved. He wants people to receive him is what he wants. And he says in verse 23, and this I do for the gospel's sake, that I might be partaker thereof with you. Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize, so run that ye may obtain. Now, we often use this verse to motivate us, you know, when it comes to being, doing anything, about being temperate in all things, because we want to, we want to try to accomplish something, be determined, get rid of the weights and sins. But when Paul was using this, and it's fine to do that, but when Paul used this reference here, it was ultimately about getting people saved. That's what he's talking about. I want to win people to Christ. And he says, And every man that strives for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air. I'm not just out there, you know, just doing a lot of stuff, move, making a lot of motions, and not accomplishing anything. If I'm going to be out there doing the work, I want to accomplish something. I'm not just beating the air, okay? It's just kind of like, you know, running sometimes. And I, I enjoy running, but, you know, at the same time, when you're running on a treadmill, in reality, I mean, it's well, it's good exercise, but at the same time, you don't get anywhere, do you? It's like a whole lot of energy to not go anywhere. Now, we need that today because we're just out of shape as Americans, but at the same time, you know, there's not a whole lot of things being accomplished, okay? I'm not making any money on that. I'm not getting any work done around the church, things like that. And so, you know, Paul, his entire focus was on reaching people with the gospel. So he didn't want to waste his energy doing stuff that wasn't accomplish anything because he wants to be received. And so he says in verse 27, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. Okay? And a lot of people will talk about how that's the same meaning as the word reprobate. And, you know, Paul was worried about being a reprobate. I heard a trendy say that one time. That's ridiculous. What it means to be a reprobate, it means to be rejected. And Paul, he didn't want to be cast away or rejected by the people that he was trying to win. So Paul said, I'm going to keep my body in subjection so I'm not cast away, not by God, but by the people that I'm trying to win. Paul had a love for people. Whether they were Jews, whether they were Greeks, whether they were barbarians, it didn't matter. Wherever Paul was at, Paul wanted to win people to Jesus Christ. And so Paul kept his body under subjection so he wouldn't get out of line. He wouldn't do things that would be offensive because Paul didn't want to be rejected by other people. Paul didn't want the apostle Paul getting in the way of the gospel is what he's saying. And folks, if the Apostle Paul was capable of getting in the way of the gospel, I think we're capable of getting in the way of the gospel. And I think often we allow our bad behavior to hinder the gospel of Christ. We're a bad witness because we're such a bad Christian. You want to know why the self-righteous, repent of your sins, work salvation crowd is often, you know, where they get a lot of their ammo? They get a lot of their ammo from bad Christians. 
guys, even preachers sometimes, who had the right gospel, but they had horrible behavior. And because their behavior was so bad, they reject their gospel. But the truth is, it wasn't their gospel. It was the gospel of Jesus Christ. But their behavior got in the way. They were they didn't reject that message so much because of Jesus Christ. They rejected that message because of them. And let me tell you something. When it comes to people who preach a gospel like we do, we need to have our, our actions better be good. We don't want to distract from it. I don't need to be going out and you know committing adultery and murder and theft and all these type of things. If, if I do, folks, if I went out and I shot up a school tomorrow... Does, is the gospel now wrong? No, but you, do you think anybody that I've witnessed to that's not saved yet is going to want to pay any attention to me after I did something like that? You know what? I would be cast away to them. I would be rejected because my bad works, it ended up hindering the gospel. And so that's what Paul was talking about when he said, uh, you know, lest I, should, I myself should be cast away. He did not want to be rejected by people. And it wasn't because Paul was out to win a popularity contest for himself. It was because Paul wanted to win people to Jesus Christ. And so, folks, we need to have this mentality, this attitude. We want to be likable. We want to be received by people. We want to find favor with God and man. And sometimes there's going to be conflict. But it should be our goal. We should not make it a virtue to be disliked. Again, if, if the only thing people have against me is the message, well, then I'm okay. It's not me. And there's a lot of people that don't like me because of what I preach about the homos. Well, I don't get offended by that. You know what? That's not my, that's not me. Okay. That's just the Bible there. I'm just, I'm just preaching what the Bible says on that. So you know what? I'm not offended by that. I'm not hurt by that because, well, that's not me they're hating. That's Lord. If they hate me because of the gospel that I preach, that's not me they hate. It's Jesus Christ. But again, if they're hating me because I'm being a jerk, that's another story. But look what it says in John chapter 3. So those who hate us, okay, and not those who hate us, and not again, not everybody that's lost hates us. Not everyone who is lost are necessarily the evil ones, okay? There there are people out there. Remember, evil, that is to that's not just to be a sinner, but that's when you're doing harm to somebody, when you're hurting others. Uh, when you're when you're doing bad to people, there's a lot of well-meaning people out there that are just wrong, that are just an error. Okay, they're not evil. They're just they're just wrong, and we need to get the truth to them. But it says in John three nineteen, and this is the condemnation that light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light lest his deed should be reproved. Last thing they want to do is talk to somebody like us because we're going to prove that they're wrong. Yeah, you think a lot of these trendies out there want to talk to me about doctrinal things? Yeah, right, because you know what? Their deeds would be reproved. They're not going to come to that light. They're not going to listen to this kind of preaching. If they do listen to any of it, it's just to look for a soundbite that they can use, take me out of context, and then throw a big hissy fit about. That's what they do, but... The truth is that light, it reproves people. It proves them wrong. People hate that. Verse 21, And he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest that they are wrought in God. If somebody actually does have good intentions, if their heart is in the right place, if we can get the light to them, you know what? They will be attracted to that light. And there's many people out there like that. They go to bad churches. They've been taught bad theology. You know, their their religion is so bad, you know, that there's probably many that have reprobated them because of that and say, but you know what? There may be some good, well-meaning, decent people there. And if somebody would get the truth to them, you know what? They'd come out of that false religion. They would come out of it. They would get saved. You know why? Because they love the light. And when all of a sudden you start shining that truth, folks, they're, they're going to come to that. But you know what? A lot of times our light's just not very bright because we don't have any good works. Bible says, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works. But we're, we're doing all this bad stuff, and as a result of it, nobody's seeing anything, and we're not getting the job done. And so uh, we should have a desire to find favor with man. And again, we're not going to compromise. We're not going to change our message one bit. We're not compromising on any, anything. 
But we're going to make sure if we are hated, that it's because of the message, because we're shining a light on their evil works. But let's look at some of these things, though, that made, I believe, Joseph find favor with Pharaoh, and not just Pharaoh, Egypt. All of Egypt was glad when they heard Joseph's brothers were there. They were thrilled at this. Egypt was fine with doing all this good to Joseph and his family. So just a few things real quickly that I believe made Joseph find Pharaoh, uh, favor with Pharaoh is one, uh, whoever he served prospered. That, you know, Joseph, I mean, just wherever he was at, whatever situation he was in, whoever he served prospered. Whether it was when he was um, in Potiphar's house, Potiphar's house did so well when Joseph was there, Potiphar gave everything into his hands. And you know what? God blessed Potiphar's house because of Joseph. When Joseph went to the prison, the prison put him in charge of everything. You know why? Because the prison was blessed when Joseph was doing the work there. And when jo and then Pharaoh puts him over Egypt, and all of Egypt is blessed. You know why? Because wherever Joseph went, Joseph did good. Joseph helped others to prosper. You know, we do see in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 5, it's talking to telling Christians, servants, be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling in singleness of your heart as unto Christ, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as the servants of Christ doing the will of God from the heart with good will doing service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatsoever good thing any man doeth, the same shall he receive of the Lord, whether he be bond or free. So folks, as Christians, one of the ways I believe that we can find favor with the world is if we follow this very passage right here, and that's, you know what, we do good to our masters. I don't have any masters. Well, we call them employers today, you know, and and whoever it is, well, I'm self-employed. Well, whoever whoever's paying your check, all right? If you're if you have a mowing business and you're mowing their yard, they're your master while you're there. You know what? Do a good job. Act like it's the Lord's house that you're mowing. That's the way you treat them. That needs to be that needs to be the kind of work ethic you have. And you know the truth is, if you will do that, I mean, God God's gonna be pleased and people will like you too. You know, employers, they want employees that help them make money. The, I mean, if, if you're just causing them to lose money, you know what they're going to do? They're going to get rid of you. But if you're doing a good job, then, you know, they're going to want more of you. And, you know, I'm thankful, you know, on all my years I was at Walmart, you know, all the guys that I ever got to come get a job there, they've all done good. And, and I'm glad. And I would always tell the guys, you know, hey, you know, you guys do a good job. You're going to make me look bad, you know, especially when it's my son. You know, I'm glad that when, you know, he fell out an application, like, we're not getting another McMurtry in here. No, they were, they were ready to get another McMurtry. And they know they're probably going to get another one pretty soon. And, you know, they're fine with that. Because, because that's the kind of reputation we have. And that's as it should be. You know, employers ought to know around here, you know, they, they should be asking, hey, you got any more of those Liberty folks? You know, that should be the kind of reputation that we have. They should know, man, I like to get some of those IFB people. I know it's like that in a lot of the Bible colleges. They have a lot of uh, different uh, companies that they work with that uh, help their co college students get jobs. And that's one of the things with, with a lot of these Bible colleges, often they take pride in how much these companies want their students. Because usually when you get, you know, independent fundamental Baptist young people, they're usually pretty good. You know, they, and now, you know, there's exceptions, okay? There's definitely exceptions, but a lot of these colleges, they take pride in that and they do, and they tell the young people in their college that don't you go ruining our reputation. You know, don't you go, you know, ruining the name where a lot of our students are always getting jobs here because we got a good reputation. They show up for work. They do their job. That's the way it ought to be. You know, what? it does, it ends up making God look good. You know, maybe if enough of us, you know, we're doing a good job in our, in our workplace and wherever we do business. Maybe some of these places, like, you know, I want to go see what that Liberty Baptist Church is all about. They got some impressive folks there. I knew a Pentecostal church when in uh, in Princeton, back when I lived in LaSalle. Um, you, you always knew when the people were from this church. You know, they were very conservative in their dress. They were more conservative than we were. And 
I'd run to these people. All, they, I'm telling you, every I, Pentecostal is wrong. All right, it's a false doctrine. But let me tell you something. This church had an incredible reputation when it came to the kind of people they had, the quality of people they had. I worked with two guys that were from that church. One of them was a pastor's son. One of them was just a, a layman in the church. And these guys were fantastic workers that had great reputations in, in the distribution center. And, um, folks, we can't let the Pentecostals outdo us. And, you know, the truth is, said, you know, their message is wrong. But, you know, if I, I used to joke, it's like, you know, if I ever quit being Baptist, I'd go over to that church. Because, you know what? I mean, obviously, I said, I, I don't believe the doctrine, but they were just such good people over there. They were some of the nicest people that you would ever meet. And I hate admitting that, but it was, it was just a fact. I, need, I want that to be our reputation. That's what it should be. So whoever he served, they prospered. Also, we see Joseph, he had answers when they were needed. Go ahead and turn back to uh, Genesis 41. Genesis chapter 41 in verse 39. Notice what it says. And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, For as much as God hath showed thee all this, there is none so discreet and wise as thou art. Thou shalt be over my house, and according unto thy word shall all my people be ruled. Only in the throne will I be greater than thou. So notice how, first off, Joseph had answers for those men while he was in prison, uh, you know, the butler and the baker. And then whenever a situation came up, nobody had answers. You know what? That butler, he remembered Joseph, brought him before Pharaoh. Pharaoh sees this is a guy who has some wisdom. This is a guy who has answers. And you know what? A lot of times, you know, unfortunately, people aren't always real anxious. They don't act real anxious once they meet us and find out we're Baptist to just get a hold of all the wisdom that we've got. Because we've got the answers, right? And people aren't always real anxious to get it. But you know what? One of the things you'll find out if you're around people long enough, if you work with people long enough, eventually there's going to come a time where they do want some answers from you. There, and, you know, with Pharaoh, said he had Joseph sitting in the prison all those years. Nobody knew. But event, when, when the time came, because Joseph had shared his wisdom when it was needed, uh, he was available, he was able to be there for Pharaoh. And, you know, that's why we got to be just sharing the word of God with whoever we can. There's going to be somebody out there listening. And even some of those who reject us, there may come a time in their life where all of a sudden they're like, you know what? All of a sudden they need it now. Things can change, and they need to know where they can come to find answers. We need to be ready for that. We need to be people who know the Word of God, who know the Scriptures, who know how to find things. Your lost coworker, your lost family member, if they decide they're going to start looking, they want to start looking for answers and start looking to God in the Bible, they're not going to know where to look. Hopefully, you already know where that stuff's at, and you can help them find it just like that. And if you do that, all of a sudden, you know what? They're going to appreciate you that much more. You're going to matter that much more to them. So we need to, we need to have answers when they're needed. As Christians with the Word of God and the Holy Spirit, we ought to be the best place to find answers. You know, those who often scoff at the truth, or there are those who often scoff at the truth, but you know, wisdom is available to whoever wants it. Look at what it says in Proverbs chapter one and verse 20. Wisdom should not be a difficult thing to get. It says in Roman or in Proverbs one twenty, wisdom crieth without; she uttereth her voice in the streets. She crieth in the chief place of the concourse and the openings of the gates in the city. She uttereth her words, saying, "How long, ye simple ones, will ye love simplicity and scorners delight in their scorning and fools hate knowledge? Turn you at my reproof. Behold, I will pour out my spirit unto you. I will make known my words unto you." Sounds like wisdom is very available, but here's the problem: many people today they don't want it. But that shouldn't be us. And the truth is, while today maybe people don't want wisdom because today they're wanting to go to the party. Today they're wanting to have the fun. But a day is coming where they're going to want that wisdom, where they're going to need that wisdom. And you know what? We ought to be a voice of wisdom. We ought to be somebody who has been trying to get the truth to people. And then when that day comes where they're ready for that wisdom, they're going to know where to get it. But if we're just sitting on all our information... If we're just sitting on all this Bible we know and we're not sharing it with anyone, why would anybody know that we're a source of information, that we're, that we're a source 
where you can find wisdom when you need it. So we've got to be ready. And that's why you just use it wherever you can. You know, thankfully, Joseph, he was willing to be faithful in a prison. And then God decided to use him in a palace. We know we often want to be, you know, there's so many people, they want to be a help to the masses. You know, they want to have the YouTube channel and read, you know, get this huge audience, but you know what they don't want to do? They don't want to help their neighbor. They don't want to, they don't want to just provide help and support even to a church family. It's amazing how many people they can't, they can't get along with anybody in the church. They've never helped anybody in their life, but yet they're going to just go out and they're going to start a blog or a podcast or something. They're just going to straighten the whole out. You know, these people are looking for an audience is what they're looking for. They're not able, they're not even, many of them are not even capable of being faithful to a church, you know, around real life people. If you're not willing to do those little things that get you no glory, then, you know, don't expect to get the big platform one of these days. But that's what a lot of people are looking for. They're looking for that instant gratification, that instant success. I'm just amazed at how many people have been saved for less than five years that are just out there online wanting to correct everybody. You know, there's there's people out there. There's this one guy, I forgot his name. He's some dispensational goofball. Literally, his entire YouTube channel is just debunking everybody. It's like he just goes and watches videos of different preachers and just goes and shows everybody's wrong. It's just like, dude, first, who are you? And it's like he's not even a pastor or anything, but he's just going around just bashing everybody that's actually doing something. And I think that's pathetic. You know, how about you go do something for somebody for just five years and then show the rest of us how to do everything? I, I, and, but this is America. This is the age of the Internet. Any moron can have a platform. And you can always find several hundred or even several thousand other morons to follow you and tell you you're fantastic. Let me tell you, folks, never, never uh, judge a person's wisdom, influence, abilities, ministry, all that, based on a social media presence. Okay, That doesn't say as much as you think. It really doesn't. There's a lot of communities in this world, and every community's got a village idiot, and you just might be attracting the village idiot of every community. So just keep that in mind. So that could be YouTube, Pastor Tommy. Oh, it might be. You know, that, that very well might be. Uh, you know, either way, it, that is just a fact. But anyway, the uh, last reason I believe Joseph found fair, favor with Pharaoh is he was someone that a nation was happy to have more of. It, look what it said in chapter 45 and verse 16. Lost my spot. 45 verse. It says, And the fame thereof was heard in Pharaoh's house, saying, Joseph's brethren are come, and it pleased Pharaoh well and his servants. They were thrilled at the idea of having more of the children of Israel around. They they love the idea of that because Joseph had that kind of a reputation. They thought it's it's kind of like um you say, Well, you know, just because Joseph was good doesn't mean all of his brothers were good. And that's true, because Joseph's brothers were pretty bad, weren't they? But what's something that, uh, you know, every single guy does whenever maybe one of his friends gets a girlfriend? What's the first question that they always ask if she's pretty? Does she have a sister? Because you just assume, hey, if she's a good catch, if she's good looking, the sister's probably good looking too, right? Is, is that not the way, you know, most guys think? Yeah, yeah, yeah I, I think that's pretty normal. And so they're just assuming, hey, Joseph's so good. You know what? The other guys are probably good too, even if that's not so much the case. And so the truth is, you know, we, we need to remember that who we are, you know, we never just represent ourselves. You know, again, if you're a Christian, you know, if you're a Baptist and if you're open about that, you represent Baptists to many people. Do you make them think better of Baptists or less? And same thing, too, when it comes to your own last name as a McMurtry. Do I make people think better of McMurtry or less of McMurtry's? I should hopefully have the kind of reputation where I make the people think better. And so uh, I don't have time to get into this. But, you know, some people are hated just because they're out of control. 
And Genesis, don't turn there, but in Genesis chapter 16 and verse 12, we see Ishmael, right? Ishmael, and everybody loves to talk about the Muslims and how they come from him. Because he was a wild man, his hand was against every man, every man's hand was against him. But you know what, look what it says in 1 Thessalonians 2.14. When I read about Ishmael, I don't think about Muslims, I think about Jews. And it says in 1 Thessalonians 2.14, For ye, brethren, became followers of the churches of God, which in Judea are in Christ Jesus. For ye also have suffered like things of your own countrymen, even as they have of the Jews, who both killed the Lord Jesus and their own prophets, and have persecuted us, and they please not God, and are contrary to all men, forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles, that they might be saved to fill up their sins always, for the wrath has come upon them, to the uttermost. Paul said they are, con talking about the Jews, they don't please God and they're contrary to all men. Now people today, they often talk about how the Jews are some of the most hated people in the world and then they act like it's of God. No, God's not pleased with them either. Did you know there are some things that God and the world agrees with? God doesn't like cheats. And you know what? The world doesn't either. God doesn't like dishonesty. God doesn't like that unjust usury and things like that. The world doesn't like it either. And a lot of people today are hated because they're just horrible people. And something that you know you need to take into consideration, whenever you are being criticized, are they criticizing your message? Are they criticizing your God? Or are they criticizing you? Sometimes it's just you. Some people that are out there, everybody hates them, and they act like it's a virtue. And you know what? It's not. Never mistake people's hatred of you being a jerk as persecution for the cause of Christ. There is a difference. And so what I'm going to try to do, I'm going to try to get myself out of the way because I don't want to be a distraction to the gospel. If somebody just hates the gospel, then they hate the gospel. It's not me that they hate. It's the gospel that they hate. But I don't want anybody to ever not receive the gospel from me because they hate me. Because I'm, I'm a castaway to them. And so because of the moral decline in America today and the lack of character, we see that it's so important, it's more important than ever, that we have some godly traits in our life so we can be a light. So we, so let's keep the junk out of our life so we will not be cast away. So with that, let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you so much for your word. I pray help us to follow these things. Lord, help us to remember when we're out there. Lord, we're not just representing ourselves. We are representing you. And I pray that you'll help us to be good ambassadors and that we will not make you look bad, uh, but we will uh, let our light shine so we can uh, reach as many people with the gospel as possible. In your name we pray. Amen.